1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nyget. Um It is Friday, May twenty-eighth, and because we're taking the day off for Memorial Day on weekend, going you know, to give the team all of us a three-day holiday. Uh, it's hard to believe it. This is our final show in the month of May. May we are almost through half of 2021, which is very difficult for me to try to comprehend, and I suspect a lot of you out there are uh, thinking about how fast the year is going as well. Um, let me introduce the panel right away, uh, because uh, we're going to start the show a little bit different format today. We're going to start the show with um, our first uh, two guests, and later in the show, move on to a conversation with Speaker of the House David Ralston. So with that in mind, let me start by Uh, welcoming Patricia Murphy. Of course, Patricia is the AJC political reporter and a columnist who writes Political Insider, the twice weekly column that you read on Wednesdays and Sundays in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, thanks for being here today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for having me on this great panel.
1: Yeah, and um, w- w- we should say that you also oversee uh, the, the Jolt, which it comes out every morning and kind of gives us a summary of uh, interesting tidbits and stories in the news that are one of the reasons we're having Ralston on later. We're also joined today uh, by Republican State Representative Chuck F. Stration from Gwinnett County and Democratic State Representative uh, Terry Anulowicz, who represents Smyrna. Thank you both so much for being with us for the first half of the show today. Thank you for having me, Bill.
2: Thank sure. you so much. For ha- for, thank you so much. Y'all. I'm glad to be here. This is a good crowd.
1: Yeah, um, before we get into the news, I, I do want to take a mention, you know, on yesterday's show, at the end of yesterday's show, we mentioned the, the death of uh, Pete Carell, one of the great business leaders In the city of Atlanta and someone who changed the face of the city in many ways through his long career most notably He was responsible for putting Grady Hospital back on its feet making it the really fine uh, medical Institution it is today and and I realize that before we get further into the show we want to mention an unexpected and very sad death Um, Marissa McCall who is the Public Policy Director for the Southern Center of Human Rights, died very unexpectedly on May 21st. She was only 37 years old. Um, Marissa was on our show on the anniversary of the death of Ahmad Arbery, and she was on that show as she was throughout her career, a passionate advocate for racial justice and reform. Especially in Georgia's criminal justice system, and Chuck, you worked with Marissa pretty closely on a number of pieces of legislation yes we
3: we started working together years ago on the Georgia Council on criminal Justice reform, and the first time I met Marissa, I knew she was a brilliant attorney who had a heart to do good to help Georgians throughout the state uh, throughout her career and my work with her. she was the A height of professionalism, I never had a bad word to say about anybody professionally, was just uh, personally, was just focused on the issues that were pending at the Capitol, passing the best possible legislation, and Georgia is a better place because of her work. So a true loss to uh, all Georgians and to all of us who, who knew her personally
1: yeah um and we're so sad for our friends at the Southern Center for Human Rights as well as uh, marissa's family uh, Terry, I can't imagine you didn't interact with her at some point in your legislative career
2: no she was i did not work with her as closely as many of my colleagues did, but you know to echo what what chuck said he she her brilliance is unquestioned, and I think one of the things that is there's so many things that are so shocking about her death and and you know, her, the family that she leaves behind and everyone who loves her. And then, you know, her legacy is incredible. And then, you know, also mourning all the other things that she would have absolutely have been able to accomplish. And I think that, you know, her legacy, I think, will serve as an enduring and motivating factor for all of the people who had worked with her for so long and who are going to continue to shepherd these issues, especially regarding criminal justice reform. Cheerling
1: Patricia, I'll give you a moment. You know, I mean, obviously, racial justice has been one of the most important issues we've talked about on this show, as it is in society today. Um, and her loss is a, a big one for all of us. You're uh, muted, Patricia.
0: I'm sorry. Um, She was personally so delightful. She had just a real bright light inside of her. So to work with her was really an enjoyable experience for people on both sides of the aisle. And on issues that are so polarizing and emotional, she brought so much depth of knowledge, but also a really um, empathetic and kind approach to the people she worked with. And I think that helped her achieve so much in such a short period of time and it's a great loss
1: well again our condolences to her friends to her family to the southern center uh, on the loss of uh, their great great colleague Um, all right let's get down to the politics of the day Um, I'd like to start by playing a soundbite from Governor Kemp uh, and an announcement he made the other day about masks in schools let's listen
3: as we go into the summer and look for schools to be back in the classroom in the fall we're not going to have a mask mandate for our kids our teachers have had the ability to get vaccinated certainly doesn't keep anyone from wearing a mask if, if parents want their kids to wear a mask or if the teachers want to wear a mask if they haven't been vaccinated or even if they have they can certainly do that but I, I think the time for mandates is over you know our numbers have plummeted hospitalizations percent positive cases uh, we got to continue to reopen the economy, including international travel. And it's unfortunate there, there are some that continue to scare people and not want
1: to do that. Patricia, it should not go unstated that this was Brian Kemp making this announcement on Fox news um, so there's no question that there's a political element to this there's also a question as to whether the governor really has the power to enforce an executive order relating to schools patricia unmute
0: i'm so sorry um the there's a real question about whether he has this power because unlike other issues the Georgia Constitution specifically gives local school boards control over decisions inside those schools. And Kemp has stood up for that local control on a number of times. Um, in 2019, the legislature passed a bill manda- mandating a 30-minute recess in schools, and he vetoed that. And in his statement, he said this legislation would impose unreasonable burdens on educational leaders, without meaningful justification and said he's a firm believer in local control, especially in education. And this is so much more than a recess bill. This is about the 1.7 million kids in Georgia schools as well as um, colleges and universities I will say for kids below 12, there is no approved vaccine. These kids are not vaccinated. I have two eight-year-olds. Um, for there not to be masks in schools, I think puts parents who are required to have their kids in school, some some schools are not gonna have online options next year. If you're required to have your kids in schools and there's there are not masks, especially for those young kids and some young children get very ill from this, um, to me, it creates a real problem—a real problem for parents. Um, and that's with my parent hat on, my my reporter hat on. Says that that Kemp was for local control recently, and he's not right now.
3: Well, businesses and government buildings have lifted mass mandates, and I think there's a feeling that it's time to move forward beyond uh, these mandates. Vaccines are available to fac- faculty and staff currently, as well as students 12 and up educators or students will still be able to wear masks if they choose to in schools virtual school options are available and certainly uh the metro atlanta area and i'd say in most schools throughout the state and the state require is required by law to provide a quality education to students and uh, over 50 percent of the state budget is dedicated to education so i think it's very appropriate for the governor to take a lead on this issue certainly Uh, As we've dealt throughout the pandemic, tough decisions are, are being made by our government officials, which in hindsight, maybe look good or bad. And Governor Kemp has a strong track record of leading the state well throughout this very difficult pandemic.
1: Terry?
2: Yeah, I'll interject that taking the lead on education policy is not the same as unconstitutionally usurping local control. And to Patricia's point, the the reality of this situation is that there is no vaccine for pretty much any kid in elementary school you know middle schoolers and up they can get the vaccine i hope they do get the vaccine i'm deeply troubled that in all of the governor's conversations lately whether it is about mask mandates or you know or anything else having to do with the vaccine he's also not emphasizing how easy and available the vaccine is to get in georgia how safe the vaccine is to get in georgia I would be less convinced these weren't campaign stunts. One, if they weren't happening on Fox News. But two, if he was making this, these announcements, issuing these decrees, because that's what an executive order is—it's a decree—alongside anyone who was involved in public health, and that's simply not happening. So this, this, this is this is campaign. This is campaign rhetoric. This is not policy, and it, it, it's not. It's not. Realistic or feasible for families with young children, particularly particularly as we know that these variants are only going to increase, and as you know, Chuck and I both have a colleague this has been reported in the press whose son has heart damage that's related to covid nineteen. This is not a harmless thing for children
3: i'll just I'll just uh, respond if I may. Governor Kemp has taken the pandemic incredibly serious, and at press conferences, announcements. And in consultation with Dr. Toomey and the Department of Public Health, decisions have been made throughout this pandemic. Um, I I would just say the governor has really made clear the availability of vaccines that was rolled out, made available for all adults earlier than many other states. And I think our governor has led in a very strong way on addressing the pandemic in our state and that we should appreciate just how difficult these decisions are for our leaders to make in the state when you're balancing the importance of k-12 education ensuring that our students are educated with the very serious science-based concerns that you have to weigh uh, as well
1: so Patricia, yeah, I, a couple points okay. uh, before well you go ahead and then i'll weigh it.
0: oh i was just uh going to add uh kim has the reason i think this mandate is surprising to those of us who have seen him is that he has been um he has called himself the covid governor he knows that vaccines and the success of rolling out those vaccines would be crucial to his legacy um and he did even in his fox interview say i've gotten the vaccine people should get the vaccine the vaccine is available it does feel like especially for schools this does not need to be a one size fits all approach, which is why these decisions are often made at the local level, but it's just a different science reality in elementary, middle school, high school and, and college and um, why it's a one size fits all approach um, is is hard to understand.
1: So um, just a couple more points on this that I'm uh, uh, glad to have all of you weigh in. And number one, we really don't know just how many school districts across the state have actual mask Mandates in place. The Atlanta Public Schools are one. Um, I don't know, uh, Chuck. Gwinnett County masks preferred but not required. Do you know off the top of your head?
3: Believe that's uh, the case, or what is yes. expected for this upcoming school year
1: in the fall? Yep. Terry.
2: Yeah. In Cobb County, masks were required. They are not anymore for people who are fully vaccinated. So my 16-year-old son, right. for example, his last few days at school he was able to bring a scan of his vaccine card. He didn't have to wear a mask. He chose to a lot of times just because most of the kids were still wearing masks and teenagers are going to do what most of their friends are doing. Uh, But I think that's a really good point. And that also goes to the issue earlier this week with vaccine passports and and the governor saying that he was going to the executive order to not allow vaccine passports, which I am not convinced was done with any consultation with any public health officials, the Department of Public Health in Georgia, and who quickly, you know, they came back and, and said, well, None of that. No one's asked us for that information. We can't give that information anyway because it's private. So, you know, there, there are things it's, to the point about how many districts actually even have mask mandates to begin with there. This is a, a, a it's a solution in search of a problem. And hey, it's just campaign rhetoric. This is campaign season.
1: Well, okay. the reason I ask that and and then we'll move on, but is that the governor does say school districts are certainly uh, welcome to uh, encourage uh, mask wearing. The the issue becomes, I think, Patricia, um, the message you send out when a school district is not quite certain what what it should do moving forward. Your governor has said, you know, I don't think they should be required. That's going to have some impact on how you decide what your community should be doing.
0: Well, I think at this point an executive order would be mandatory. I don't know that that's optional. No, I'm talking I,
1: I'm so, I shouldn't have I'm sorry. yeah, I should have asked that better. They they can still say they rec- they would prefer people to wear masks. And the question is will they if the governor has said masks aren't really a man, uh, mandated anymore.
0: Sure. Well, I think um People who prefer to wear masks are probably the people who, um, in many cases, also preferred to get the vaccine in the first place. I think this a lot. Some people who have vaccine hesitancy also um, did not consider COVID to be really very serious. Um, that's just a that's just sort of a a broad generalization, but that's been my uh, anecdotal experience. Um, there certainly are some people who um cannot get vaccinated for health reasons They can't get vaccinated they will continue to wear masks that's um that's certain um but again i think it the question really comes into those elementary schools what's what's the safest plan for those schools and those kids
1: okay let's move on uh, one of the reasons i was really glad uh that you uh terry and chuck agreed to do the show today is um the governor has clearly launched his uh, campaign for re-election by rolling out a number of uh positions on issues uh, like masking, like uh, 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 whether there should be a requirement, whether we should have vaccine passports. He says that he's issued an executive order against that. He's visited the border. So he's laying out an agenda for his campaign. But before the show, I asked each of you uh, if it's okay to discuss the fact that you are both uh, likely to be running for re-election in your districts. Of course, what cop, and then I wanted to ask you what you see as the issues each of you believe are going to be uh, showcased in your campaigns. But before we even get to that, Chuck, you mentioned before the show who knows what districts we're going to be running in. We're not going to see redistricting until late this year.
3: That's right. The um, redistricting process is going to take place after data from the census is received. You know, over the past 30 years, Uh, Democrats drew two maps that were overturned by the courts because they disenfranchised voters. Republicans drew a map in 2012 that was upheld by the Obama Justice Department. This process is uh, something that has to be very deliberate. Uh, Deliberative uh, takes place in a special session typically, and that will determine the congressional and state legislative uh, districts that uh, members will be running in in 2022.
1: Uh, Patricia, your column uh, that you dropped uh, online today and will appear in the Sunday newspaper is about redistricting.
0: It is. It's about redistricting. And it's specifically about the really difficult position legislators and candidates are in right now when they are deciding to run um for either for reelection or deciding to mount a challenge. Um, and they don't know exactly what their district is going to look like. They literally don't know what their chances are until they knew who their voters are going to be. And all of that's going to be decided in this special session of redistricting. And um, because of the COVID census-related delays, this whole process has been pushed back to um, what Speaker Ralston told us is when the frost is on the pumpkin, which is kind of a a generalization for the fall. But there's a residency requirement in the state, not at the federal level, but by November eighth, this must be decided or else, which is a year out from election day. Otherwise, these legislators are going to have to run in the district where they live, not where they want to run. And so it's uh, very difficult. I talked to Carolyn Bordeaux and Rich McCormick, both up in that seventh district. The sixth and seventh are what are really being watched carefully at the congressional level, and they're both just running. You know, cont- you can control your message, you can control your fundraising, but you cannot control your destiny, and that is tough. And especially for both of the two we're on with right now.
1: Terry, jump in.
2: No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's it, it, it's fascinating because. Usually, there's a lot more run-up and lead time to quali- between redistricting and qualifying, and this is this, this, we're going to be in a time crunch. And so that's going to be interesting to see how that time crunch, crunch shapes the redistricting dynamic, the the interpartisan redistricting dynamic, the intrapartisan redistricting dynamic, because you know we know that there are you know, there are going to be rural districts that are going to need to get bigger. There are some metropolitan districts and more urban districts, in, in our cities, major cities in Georgia, that are going to need to get smaller. And there are there are people. People call me all the time because they are thinking about running. You know, anytime you have someone announce that they're going to be running for something statewide, there is then that domino effect of who's then going to be running for which seat. You know, if Jody Heiss is running for Secretary of State. Members of the State House, or you know, Tim Barr said he's going to run for that congressional seat. Well, who are the people who are going to run for that seat? If they're leaving a county commission or a city council, who's going to run for those seats? And, you know, if it's, a, if it's a state, you know, level seat, statewide, state house, state senate, we don't know what those districts are going to look like. And then after we finish, you know, the things we ha- we've we got to get done but by November 8th, then we've got to go into the cities and the counties and the school boards and everything else. So that there are far-reaching implications, and a lot of people, especially those who, who do want to mount primary challenges, are in a tougher situation. And the people who are going to be making the redistricting decisions, we're in a bit of a tougher situation because there's not as much time to really – really work through as many scenarios as you want to, given the fact that we don't know what the numbers are yet and where the numbers are.
0: Bill, along those lines about people trying to make these decisions, I spoke with Melita Easters, who's a frequent uh, contributor to this show who runs the Georgia Win List for Democratic Women. Um, Her advice to candidates who have not announced yet and are not elected right now is do not say you're thinking about running because if you pop your head out of your foxhole, as she described it, um, the legislators could draw you out of the district you want to run in. So she's, she's advising people to just keep their powder dry. She's called it like a game of whack-a-mole. Um, just don't, don't say anything and just control what you can.
1: All right. Um, I, I, I understand uh, uh, Chuck and Terry, that there's a long time to go even until the primaries. Um, but as the, as you both begin thinking about uh, reelection and the landscape can certainly change. Chuck, what do you imagine are going to be issues that you are going to want to showcase in your campaign for re-election? And you're in an interesting position, of course, because even with redrawn lines, you are likely to be living in a county that has increasingly turned blue, which has had some impact on the politics that you put forth.
3: Well, Bill, I've been in the General Assembly for eight years at this point. My record is really... Clear what it is. I uh, helped to carry and pass the largest tax cut in Georgia history. Also, the historic Hate Crimes Act. I think the the message is my record, and and I think all legislators run on our record. And we have a very strong. The Republican Caucus has a very strong record from the General Assembly addressing major issues like the response to the pandemic, passing a budget that prioritizes our kids and our schools, addressing the issue of maternal mortality, paid parental leave. And this is really thanks to Speaker Ralston, his leadership at the state capitol, which has made Georgia the number one state for business and allowed us to pass these issues that are strong messages that our constituents want to hear about, really putting people over politics.
1: So, Chuck, uh, let me ask you a question around that, though. Um, you, you have a record that you, you say you'll run on. Meanwhile, um, we're hearing, of course, that Georgia Republicans, uh, certainly in the state uh, Republican Party, coming out of David Schaefer and others, are increasingly wanting to nationalize the elections here in Georgia. So the national issues are uh, the 2020 presidential election was stolen uh, from Donald Trump, uh, Democrats are socialists who will change the very nature of our country. The January sixth insurrection wasn't really that big a deal, and Democrats are just trying to leverage it for partisan advantage. You're gonna, you're gonna, so you're gonna be in that interesting position of really uh, running upstream, swimming upstream against that kind of rhetoric. I would guess
3: there's really two points that I would. Focus on First of all, Republicans are united in their opposition to the bad policies being pushed by President Biden, and that unifies the Republican Party vote. Additionally, local contact with legislators truly does matter. If local residents, my neighbors know how to contact me, know that I'm effectively working for them at the state capitol, then their support, which is completely separated from the national discussion or issues that might be discussed on national
1: cable news. Terry, um, I assume that applies to uh, almost every legislature. Led, led oh. tour. I mean, first and foremost, yes. are you dealing with your constituents in a way that they respect and trust and think you're going to work to their advantage? So, in some ways, the national issues are very much a secondary or even tertiary tertiary role uh, play uh, role in all that.
2: You know, they are and they aren't. It is. It's interesting because I, I agree wholeheartedly that no matter you know if you are in the general assembly, if you're local, your county. Accessibility is the most critical thing, and that, that is what constituents want more than anything else. They want accessibility. They want to be able to reach you if they have an issue. They want to know that, you know, they want to understand that you are living the same lives, that they are living in the same community, or, you know, or you're, 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 you, you do share a community of interest. I think that the, that dynamic has changed a little bit, especially since 2016. You know, when, when people talk about the blue wave, and I know that Chuck's saying this in Gwinnett County, a lot of people who weren't necessarily as engaged in the process, particularly at the state level, at the local level, the General Assembly level, there you have people who have come into this without as much institutional knowledge, both of how the General Assembly works, but also about who their local elected officials are. So I think that there are opportunities for us to introduce ourselves to 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 communities and to, and to constituents who weren't as engaged in the every two year elections. They might have paid more more attention to the every four year election. So I think that that is important. I think that you know, if I'm in a county that, like Gwinnett, has has definitely transitioned to be much more democratic. The part of the county I live in, Smyrna and, and Marietta, has always been much more democratic. At least definitely for the past the past almost decade. Um, you know, I, but I do think recovery from the pandemic, how we move forward, those are going to be major issues. And talking about what's happening at the federal level, one of the issues that keeps coming to mind is caregiving. I have been banging the drum for a while that caregiving is an economic issue. Caregiving is an infrastructure issue. And if there is one of many things the pandemic has writ large, it is the fact that a caregiving infrastructure is absolutely inextricable. From our economic infrastructure and how well people can work and how people are able to work, whether they can work depends overwhelmingly on what kind of access to caregiving they have, whether it is for their children, their spouse, whoever it is, caregiving is critical.
1: Uh, Patricia, uh, how do you see the national uh, uh, dialogue that is being uh, put forward, first by the Republicans, but but Democrats as well, playing into legislative races? Uh, uh, Chuck particularly says, no, no, I'm running on my record. I'm not going to be distracted by the socialist Democrats, by the stolen election, that sort of thing. Uh, Give us your take on this uh, before we have to take a break.
0: Yeah, so I think there's um, a lot of good news for Republicans and what happened in 2020, actually, for state legislators, um, because it was the most nationalized race we've ever seen. Donald Trump came into this state like an elephant and just never left. And yet state legislators at the local level for Republicans did much better than expected. And people like Mr. Estration were able to hang on to their seats despite that. I mean, talk about headwinds. Donald Trump just would not. shut his mouth. And that hurt a lot of Republicans. It lost the state for Georgia. It lost those two Senate seats for Georgia. Um, But the Republicans were able to hold on to their majorities in ways that I think were surprising to those of us watching from the outside looking in. Um, You know, the challenge for Republicans going forward are just the very real demographic changes. All of the new people moving into Georgia who don't know their state legislators, have not heard of them before, And don't want to vote for Republicans. There's just a more there's a younger, more diverse uh, demographic moving into the state that that is hard to reach for these legislators in some cases. So um, they're going to do the best they can. But the national message they were able to overcome.
1: Um, In just a couple minutes, we're going to take a break and then bring on uh, Speaker of the House, David Ralston, Uh, Chuck F. first. We're having him on because of all this speculation that he might choose to run against Raphael Warnock or try to win that nomination to run against Raphael Warnock. He's been a great leader for Republicans in the uh, Georgia House. Do you really imagine him putting down the gavel and running for uh, U.S. Senate? And by the way, I think he's probably listening at this point. So watch your words. Well I say this I say this uh,
3: when he's not listening, but Speaker Austin is a good man and he's been a terrific leader for our state. If he decides to run, I'm convinced that he will win the race. his track record at the Capitol includes making Georgia the number one state for business he's built consensus on important issues that could not have passed without his leadership, although it would be a big loss to the state capitol if he were to run there's no doubt that his statewide network and the fact that he could be an effective senator for the state of Georgia on day one makes him the front runner in the race if he decides to run.
1: Terry, uh, there are many ways in which it's true that Speaker Ralston has been a consensus builder and has fought off some of the uh, 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 issues that that most concern uh, 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 Democrats. But he's also, if he decides to make this race, people are going to remind him he ended up Uh, uh, taking the House over the top in terms of the bill that virtually outlaws abortion in Georgia. Uh, The election bill, election law is uh, very controversial. Uh, Democrats will have a good amount of ammunition should he make that race.
2: That is is accurate. I, you know, primaries have changed a lot in Georgia from— the last time Speaker Ralston ran statewide. The primary process has changed tremendously, more more so on the Republican side than on the Democratic side. And I think that it is absolutely inarguable that Speaker Ralston has a tremendous network. The breadth and depth of his network cannot be underestimated, nor can the breadth and depth of his fundraising skills. I mean, if you look at the the money he's been able to raise to help Protect seats, Republican seats in the General Assembly. That should not be discounted. So he would he'll be formidable if he chooses to do that.
1: Terry and Chuck Hefstration, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, uh, both of you. Patricia Murphy's staying with me, uh, and after the break, we'll bring in the man himself, Speaker of the House David Ralston. You're listening to Political Rewind. <laughs> Patricia Murphy, one week ago today, not long before Political Rewind went on the air as we do live at 9 o'clock in the morning, you put up the jolt, and the lead item in the jolt speculated that because David Ralston had made a visit to Washington— Uh, been with uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell, with the head of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, that now there's buzz that he might want to run for U.S. Senate. We probably spent more time speculating (laughs) about that on the show that day than it warranted, but David Ralston's a fascinating guy, and the thought that he might get into the Senate race was intriguing to us, right?
0: It was intriguing to us. It was just some harmless speculation. Um, and really, uh, his visit up to D.C. Uh, did get a lot of people talking. And it was talk that was not batted down by anybody we talked to. And we talked to everyone. Um, and so we're I look forward to hearing from the speaker himself as well. Um, well and the more we talk to people, the more they said, well, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So we'll see what he says. I look forward to it.
1: Well... David Ralston uh, uh, heard about our conversation, and we're very happy he said he would like to come on the show and talk about it himself. So, Speaker David Ralston, thank you for being with us for Political Rewind today. How are you?
4: I'm well, Bill, and, and, and uh, thank you for having me. But you left me no choice uh, at the end of your last <laughs> program. You threw down the gauntlet, and so, uh, you know, I, 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 I had to come on and defend myself.
1: Well, I don't know that I threw down the gulp. What I think I said was, well, we'll be interested in hearing what David Ralston has to say about it. So, Mr. Speaker, I, we know you're not about to make an announcement on Political Rewind. If you're going to make a decision to move forward in a different way, you'll do that in your own way on your own own timetable. But I suppose we should get right to the point. Is there some thought on your part? that perhaps a race for the United States Senate would be interesting to you?
4: Well, I think anyone who serves in the legislative process, um, you know, is intrigued by uh, new challenges. um, And uh, this certainly would be a new challenge. But 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 and and I tell people that ask me, I said, you know, decision making um, is a process, not an event. And so um, uh, we're, uh, kind of taking a look and, uh, see how, see how it feels. Uh, uh, but, but let me, let me just make two or three points if I could, Bill. Number one, I sure. got the best job in the, in the state. Um, I, I, I love being the speaker of the house because I get to work with people like Chuck Efstration and Terry Nullowitz. Um, and, um, there's two of the finest members in the body. I I, I wish I could say even better things about Terry, but I don't want to damage her chances at getting reelected in her district. Uh, (laughs) But uh, uh, so so and and we've made we've accomplished much a lot of good uh, in the House over uh, the time I've been privileged to be the speaker and you may remember the um, situation in the House when I was elected uh, and, and, and things are a lot different now. Uh, I, I have people tell me, uh, often that, uh, uh, make comparisons between the house and the other chamber. Uh, and that makes me very, very uh, pleased to hear those things. So, um, you know, I'm not looking for a job. Uh, I've got a good one, uh, by the same token, um, you know, I am troubled, uh, probably more than at any time uh, from a policy standpoint, at least, uh, and, 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 um, uh, my memory, uh, about the direction of the, uh, of the country, uh, uh, you know, we're a very divided country. Uh, the Senate is divided, uh, and, um, um, I'm, I'm concerned about some of the initiatives that the president, uh, who I had actually higher hopes for being a, uh, being a consensus builder and a unifier than, than he's proven to be, um, and so you know, uh, it, it being the thought of making a difference and and, and uh, giving the majority back to the Republicans in the Senate uh, uh, would certainly have some appeal.
0: Mr. Speaker, um, thanks so much for coming on to talk to Chair us Patricia, about this good today. Good morning. Um, Tell us what a Senator David Ralston would do. Um, It's so intriguing to think about the possibility, but what in your mind um, isn't being done? And and what would you do differently if you were elected and got up there? Um, Not saying that you're running, but if you were, what does the Senator David Ralston do that needs to be done in your mind?
4: I think a lot of the same things that we've done uh, in the Georgia House. uh, and Chuck Estes touched on many of these, and I, uh, I appreciate him doing that. You know, we uh, we knew uh, back a year or two ago that uh, we had people in districts that were vulnerable uh, that we had to protect, and so we we pushed a sort of a non-traditional Republican agenda, um, and it proved to be very very successful. We passed. Uh, a bipartisan vote. We passed a uh, the hate crimes bill. We passed uh, paid parental leave, uh, maternal mortality, the uh, co- the benefits for for that. Uh, um, uh, any number of uh, uh, of things that we have championed uh, proved to be very very successful, and they weren't typically the kind of issues that that Republicans embrace. Uh, um you know i think there's a lot of uh, uh role models uh of 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 senators that have served in that body from georgia uh, uh johnny Isaacson, uh, saxby shambles sam Nunn, uh other uh distinguished senators like my friend lamar alexander who retired from tennessee that uh uh we 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 we're, we're, we're just looking to solve problems and looking to build consensus. Uh, And so that's kind of the path I've always uh, tried to follow, Patricia. Um,
0: When you were in Washington, you were meeting with both Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, excuse me, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, um, and Senator Rick Scott, who runs the Republicans' uh, Senate campaign arm. What did y'all talk about, and are they worried that a big name has not gotten into this contest with Raphael Warnock, which we all expected by now?
1: Well,
4: I was just a mere tourist uh, up there that day, uh, to borrow borrow a description from my congressman. uh, (laughs) I tell people, they ask me, you know, what was it like up there? and uh, I said, well, it it was kind of like being a tourist, except the uh the plywood over the windows on many of the windows of the Capitol is a little disorienting. Um I don't want to get into the, the specifics of our conversation. Uh obviously we had a great visit with um, um, leader McCarthy in the House. He uh I I went by to thank him for his very vocal support of uh of our elections bill, Senate Bill two oh two and to offer up our help uh, as best we could on, on redistricting um, had a great, great visit with uh, uh, leader McConnell who I just have a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, respect for. I mean, this is a guy that um, that, that, that has really mastered uh, legislative uh, power and the, and the reasonable uh, uh, restrained use of it. Uh, um, and, um, you know, he's a very, very wise leader. We had a great visit, uh, um, and uh, it was his idea to take the picture, by the way. Uh, then we had um, a visit with uh, uh, Rick Scott, who who actually had more of a nuts and bolts interest in uh, uh, names of people here in the state. And uh, so, you know, there were names that came up and, and – and, the pros and cons of all of them were discussed, and it was just a, it was an enjoyable day, frankly.
1: Mr. Speaker, um, I've got to say, 10 minutes ago, uh, up until 10 minutes ago, and on yesterday's show when we mentioned that you were going to be on today, uh, the panelists all said, as you really pointed out, being Speaker of the Georgia House, you were perhaps the most powerful uh, a political leader in uh, Georgia, with maybe the exception of, of the governor. And um, and even that, you know, you could raise questions about. Um, and, and the question was, why would David Ralston give up that powerful position to go to a United States Senate, which is trapped in complete gridlock, where you become just one of 100 men and women who are not making any progress on serious issues? And Buddy Darden, uh, on the show yesterday... Uh, reminded us of just how miserable zell miller was after being <laughs> and he's you know, eight years right. as governor yeah, well try to speak to that
4: <laughs> well um i don't i don't view um uh, uh the speaker's job in terms of power as it relates to uh, other people here in the capitol I, I never uh get into the comparison thing uh but uh yeah but it is a great job because i get to work with great people we we we've the house has taken the lead on so many initiatives over the last uh 10 years or so uh, whether it was rescuing the hope scholarship uh early in the deal administration uh tax reform um, uh criminal justice reform under governor deal transportation funding reform which has made a huge huge uh, difference in our infrastructure here in the state, as well as the issues that I mentioned uh, most recently there, and, and I'm very very pleased that it was members of the House who led on that. You know what kind of gets lost in the discussion. Uh, Representative Bert, former Representative Burt Reeves was worked awfully hard on the citizens arrest uh, bill this session, but that that effort started last summer. With Chuck Esterson having hearings, uh, and he had a multitude of hearings in the summer and fall, um, and so he's my champion on that uh, issue. No disrespect to, to anyone else, and 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 so, um, so I don't look at it, Bill, as a as, as a power thing. I look at it as the ability to do good things. Uh, I would never leave that. Well, uh, I wouldn't leave uh, for another uh, political position unless I felt like I had something comparable to offer to perhaps uh, to use your uh, uh, sort of uh, um, scenario bre- break the gridlock uh, yeah. and um, so you know that's that's kind of what I'm looking at.
1: Uh, this is what a fac- this is really a lot more interesting a conversation, <laughs> Patricia, than I actually expected it would be. and we're going to continue it after we take our final break of today's show. So when I said before the break this was more interesting than I thought it might be, I meant no disrespect to the speaker. Speaker Ralston, you're always an interesting guest, but I I think the way of leaving the door open a bit is uh, fascinating to both Patricia and to me and to our listeners as well. I want to ask you a question that I'm curious about, and then, Patricia, I want you to get back into the conversation. You have always been, among other things, known for how important it is to you to protect your incumbents in the Republican caucus in the Georgia House. That's been, that's been crucial to how you have viewed legislation over the years, and it's one of the reasons I think that you're admired by so many members of your caucus. Uh, a few years ago, you, there were issues like religious liberty where you thought the way to protect the members of the caucus was to try to take away the harshest elements of what the Senate wanted to do in terms of religious liberty. And, and um, you probably wouldn't agree with the term soften the bill, but to an extent that's what it was. You, you decided we should have a pastor protection act, a very different animal. So here's what I'm wondering. Um, when, when the abortion bill first was introduced, uh, both you and Governor Kemp made it clear that this was not something that you really advocated. But I wonder if, as your members turn maybe more and more conservative because of their the people in their districts, whether there's a certain way in which you ended up having to deal with a, a bill that all but outlaws abortion in Georgia. So I wonder if, in a way, the increasingly conservative, uh, members of your caucus out there are, are giving you some pause as to how you want to move forward. Does that make sense?
4: Well, it does make sense. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that was a very contentious, uh, uh, emotional uh, issue that uh, uh, certainly gave so, so many of my uh, Republican members a lot of um, uh, pause. Um, you know, we had a very uh, emotional and heated debate in the House. and uh, We ended up passing it uh, and, and sending it over. There were a few Republican members who chose to be absent for the vote. Uh, and um, I think there was one or two members actually that voted against the bill. Um, you know, sometimes there comes along a bill, I think, that uh, – uh you know that 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 that's so important to many in your party that you have to uh you have to allow it to be debated and voted um and um, that was kind of where we ended up uh uh on that so um, that's uh that's kind of the story but, but behind
1: I, that bill I, 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 I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just wondering if you see a future in, in as a speaker in which there may, will be more and more of that kind of legislation that you're not quite as comfortable with having to support your members on.
4: I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I would hope not. Uh, you know, I, I go back again. Uh, I don't mean to be repetitive here, but uh, to go back to some of the issues that, uh uh, Chairman Elstration and I have already mentioned uh, that we have passed that were sort of non-traditional uh, issues for Republicans to embrace and to champion, um, and um, uh, I, I think that um, you know we're still you know look we're still in a period of uh, polarization and, and 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 a lot of. Uh, friction uh, that lingering from the November uh, election and, and to some extent, the January election. Um, and, you know, we're going to work out of that uh, at some point. And then I'm, 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 my hope is that we can get back to uh, uh, issues that move Georgia forward again, you know, and I point to the eight years that we had, uh, uh in the deal administration when we were you know we were busy creating jobs and you know coming out of a a economic uh, of an economic downturn uh by creating jobs and and trying to improve education here in the state and and infrastructure here in the state uh we got so many things that we need to be uh uh, up and about doing uh you know high-speed broadband in rural areas Uh, uh, you know, uh, opening up uh, access to quality healthcare in rural communities um, uh, in a sustainable way. I mean, those are the things that make Georgia a winner. And those are the things I wanna focus on
1: moving forward. Patricia.
0: So, Mr. Speaker, a, a real problem for some statewide Republicans right now is their relationship with Donald Trump. Um, Governor Kemp is really sideways with the president. It's creating a lot of headwinds for him as a statewide Republican looking for reelection. President Trump says he wish he'd never endorsed him in the first place. Um, you never did sign on to any of those efforts to overturn the Georgia election. So where will you be on that Trump spectrum? Or where are you? I mean, you're you are an important state official right now. Where are you on this Trump spectrum and how will you how do you navigate that that huge gulf between Kemp and Trump?
4: You know, Patricia, when I was uh, a young boy uh, watching Westerns on black and white TVs, uh, you know, there was always a gunfight uh, in the movie some at some point. And one side or the other would win. But I never saw anybody run to get in the middle of the gunfight. Uh, so, uh, uh <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, 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 I've, you know, I've tried to sort of stay out of the gunfight, and uh, yeah, I don't know, Patricia. That's an interesting question. I, I, I've never really thought about there being a Trump spectrum. That sounds like a, a, a scale, I guess, that you weigh on or take your temperature or something of that sort. Uh, you know, I applaud the policies of, of, of president Trump. I mean, a pro pro job policies, uh, applaud his, uh, um, uh, uh, the, many of the foreign policy initiatives that he had. Um, you know, I, he, I, I mean, I, I look, I'm, I'm different than other people. He's different than other people. Uh, and, uh you know, we've got different styles in terms of communication and, uh, uh, so I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that, I suppose, uh, uh, you know, again, I think that's part of where we end up as a party once, uh, uh, everybody kind of has a little more time to digest, um, the, uh, the elections and,
1: and, uh, we get on down the road a little bit. Uh, Mr. Speaker, we're we're running out of time. The last time you were on uh, this show with Patricia and with me, we asked you about a timetable for redistricting, and you made a great uh, quote. (laughs) You said, we won't get to it till the frost is on the pumpkin. Well, let me ask you a new question. Uh, Should you think that running for the United States Senate was a good idea? We know that you have a statewide network that you can activate pretty quickly. We know your capabilities as a fundraiser. So... You have maybe the luxury of holding off if you wanted to do this, of making a formal announcement. That said, if you wanted to run, what do you imagine the timetable would be for making that announcement?
4: Well, I'm not going to walk off, uh, from, from a job uh, and leave, uh, undone a, uh, uh, a major project like that under any scenario bill, um, uh, uh, unless it's health or something of that sort. So, uh, um, you know, I, I I I really think people, uh, uh, I, I think people are kind of wanting a break from politics. Actually, I mean they mm-hmm. they got uh, uh, they got a huge helping of it last year with the presidential race. And then we turn right around and jump into the U.S. Senate uh, runoffs, and uh, so I think people are kind of wanting now that the pandemic seems to be, uh, perhaps. Getting close to being over, people are wanting to, you know, return to normal now, and and that but may I, not I, include a healthy dose of politics. That may include going to a I, Braves game. I, I,
1: I got to interrupt you because we are so out of time. I wish I had another hour. Speaker David Ralston, what a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for talking so candidly with us on today's Political Rewind. Patricia Murphy, I'll see you again soon. All of you out there, take care, stay healthy, make your own decisions about a mask, and tell your friends to get vaccinated if they haven't done it. See you all soon. Bye-bye.